Welcome to Crossbridge. My name is John and I serve as one of the pastors here at uh, Crossbridge. Well, if you are at our online campus, uh, you may not know this, but if you're at one of our three campuses in northern Illinois, you're going to know that last week was cold, like really, really cold. And if I'm honest, it was a little traumatic for me. We set like record lows or near record lows. And beyond traumatic, I, I think I have something to admit to you all. Um, you see, about three weeks ago, I was walking into our Ottawa campus. Uh, it was like on a Saturday afternoon. It was 30 degrees, which now seems quite balmy and warm. Uh, but back then, 30 degrees felt cold. And it was windy, and I was feeling a little salty, and I was a little upset at the weather. So I was walking into the Ottawa campus on the saf- Saturday afternoon, And I screamed into the air, bring it on, winner. Yeah, so I know, it's dumb, it's like a macho man thing, but I'm afraid that I might have brought the polar vortex to northern Illinois, so I apologize for that. I will no longer openly mock winter, and I have put my ways behind me. I won't do it again, I promise, okay? That had nothing to do with the message, but I just wanted to whine about the weather. So let's move on. So we're in this series called Explore God, and we've been looking at some really fun questions about faith and about life. And here are some of the questions we've been looking at. Does life have a purpose? And the second week we looked at, is there a God? And then we moved on and said, why does God allow pain and suffering? And then last week, we looked at the question of, is Christianity too narrow? I've really enjoyed these questions, and I've enjoyed participating in the discussion groups that follow as we've been exploring these things. And so today, we move on to the question of, why is it so cold up here? No, I'm just kidding. We don't move on to that. We move on to the question of, is Jesus really God? And so before we get too far into that question, right, is Jesus really God? I think we need to to know the the question and and be sure we're asking the right question. You see, this question isn't whether Jesus existed. That is settled. And and if you just give me a moment, I want to lay some groundwork about Jesus' existence so that you understand why that's settled and why we're not asking that question. You see, within 100 years of Jesus' life, there there are several sources non-Christian, outside of the Bible sources that give us information and facts about this man named Jesus. There are at least four credible sources that we have written record of that give us interesting facts about this man named Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. Again, these are, these are writings that aren't in the Bible. They're from Jewish and Roman historians These are public writings. And so here's the name of these four. Uh, You can Google them later today if you can figure out how to spell them. Um, The first one, his name is Josephus. It's like Joseph with us at the end. I don't know. Josephus, right? The second credible writer is Pliny the Younger. Uh, There must have been a Pliny the Older, but anyways, Pliny the Younger. The third one is Tacitus. And the fourth one is Suetonius. And so when when you take these guys and their writings about this man named Jesus, it gives us some really interesting things. We're not going to look at their quotes today. We simply don't have time. But when you take their writings and you put them together, we know several things about Jesus. 
Remember, these folks aren't followers of Jesus. These writings aren't in the Bible, but it's fascinating what they say about Jesus. They, they say things like this. A man named Jesus founded a movement among Jews in Judea. His mother was named Mary. He performed powerful deeds. He was a wise man and a recognized teacher. He made converts of both Jews and Gentiles. He was crucified on a Roman cross by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius after accusations were made against him by Jewish leaders. And he instilled confidence and trust among his followers who remained faithful to him even beyond his death. You see, all of that information is from non-biblical, non-Christian sources, sources within a hundred years of Jesus' life. And I think that's really important that we establish. We're not asking the question of Jesus' existence. Uh, Jesus existed. These sources tell us that Jesus existed. They even support many of the claims of Scripture about Jesus and his life, the facts of Jesus' life. And there's a contemporary atheist scholar, his name's Bart Ehrman, and he says this. He's, he's an atheist. Note that. He says, I don't think there's any serious historian who doubts the existence of Jesus. We have more evidence for Jesus than we have for almost anybody from his time period. This is fascinating. And an atheist scholar is, is saying that, right? And so before we dig in too far to, to our question today, we, we need to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. We're not trying to decide whether Jesus existed. That's not the question today. We know a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. We know a number of things about him and about his family, about his followers, about what he did, about his death. And so we're not asking those questions. Today we're asking Who do we say this man that lived 2,000 years ago, who do we say he is? And who is he to us? Was he a powerful teacher or is he somehow God? Is he somehow our savior? So that's the question, right? The question that each one of us have to answer. What we think about Jesus. It's, It's not just an intellectual question. It's a heart question when we answer the question of who we say Jesus is. This is a question that engages our mind and our heart. It's ultimately a relationship question, right? Who is Jesus to you? Who is, who is Jesus to me? I'm 100% convinced that Jesus was God, but until I own that, until I accept that, then what difference does it make? In 2005, I was having lunch on a Saturday afternoon at Burger King. Don't judge me. Those Whoppers are delicious. Burger King gets a bad rap. I'm telling you. <laughs> Anyways, so in 2005, I'm having lunch at a Burger King on a Saturday afternoon with my then girlfriend. Her name was Naomi. We had been dating for three years at that point. And I'm about 50% into my burger when we have what is known as a DTR. If you don't know what a DTR is, it stands for define the relationship. 
And according to the the very uh, accurate and credible uh, website called UrbanDictionary.com, a define the relationship is when two people discuss their understanding of where relationships headed, right? And so a DTR is when two people are trying to figure out, like, are we just friends or are we going to be something more than friends? Or, or if we're dating and we've been dating like forever, are we actually going to get married? And, and so that's what a DTR is, right? And so I'm 50% into my Whopper. I'm really enjoying it. I imagine if I know myself well, there's some ketchup running down my face. And I'm, I'm just like really enjoying lunch. And my girlfriend of three years has the nerve to have a DTR with me in the middle of a Whopper. And she says, so when are we getting married? And I was like, uh, <laughs> and we proceeded to define our relationship. She asked a question that would change my life. And she asked a question that would change the trajectory of our relationship. You see my, my wife, well, my girlfriend then she's now my wife. I, we did get married in case you didn't know. Um, my then girlfriend asked me, like, who do you say I am, right, to you? Like, am I, just, am I just a friend? Am I just a girlfriend? Like, we've been doing this for a while now. Who, who am I to you? Like, is this headed somewhere? I, I need to know. And you see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked a similar question to his followers. He had what I would call kind of a, a DTR with his followers. It's, it's captured in the Bible in Matthew chapter 16, and it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You see, 2,000 years ago, as, as Jesus had these followers that he was teaching, as he was shaping them, he stopped them one day and, and asked kind of an abstract question. Like, like who, who do you think like the Messiah will be? Who, who do you think that one is? And, and they a- answered this philosophical kind of intellectual answer, right? But then Jesus pressed further and he goes, so wait, what, what do you think about me? Like, who do you say that I am? You, you see, Jesus made the moment kind of awkward, right? I, I can imagine the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, we we're just having like this friendly conversation. It's kind of like an abstract thing, an intellectual thing. But you just made this personal to us. And I can, I can imagine that when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? That the disciples maybe started looking at the ground. You know, those awkward moments, kind of shuffling the feet and like, man, he's really like putting us on the spot. Like, do we have to answer this like right now? And Jesus was having that straightforward, honest conversation about what do you think of me? Like, where are we headed? What, what do you think I am? Who do you think that I am? You see, I would say that Jesus wanted to know back then and he wants to know today the answer to that question. Who, who do you say that I am? We can have all kinds of abstract and intellectual conversations, philosophical conversations based with evidence, and, th- and that's fine. But at the end of the day, 
I, I want to know what you think about me. I, I want to know what you say about me. I, I want to know if you're going to choose me. And so that is the question that's in front of us today. So let's back up, though, just a little bit. And, and let's think about those first followers of Jesus, right? There's a whole host of first Christians that came to believe that Jesus was God. And there's some evidence, there's some reasons for that. And so I want to present those to you today because I do think, as I said earlier, this is both a a mind and a heart discussion. There's a reason that these followers thought that Jesus was more than a man, that he was in fact God. And so I'm going to list those today. I don't have time to develop all those. You can look into those and research those further. But I want to list those briefly for us today. The first reason that those Christians, those first Christians, believed that Jesus was God is that they viewed Jesus as the Messiah. You see, they knew that Jesus was writing, that God, rather, was writing this big story. And Jesus was part of that story. And the story goes like this. After sin entered the world through Adam and Eve in the garden, God initiated a rescue plan to redeem the world, to set it right, to allow people to come back to him, to have the right relationship with him, to restore things that were broken and to make them whole. And so God picked a man named Abraham and through Abraham, he made a people, the Israelites, and through the Israelites, God would initiate his rescue plan for the entire world to bless the world and to lead the world back to him. And it would come to a point, a pinnacle, the center of the story would be someone known as the Messiah. Throughout the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And so the first Christians came to the point where they said, as they were expecting the Messiah, they said, Jesus fulfills each and every requirement of the Messiah. He is the rescue plan. He is the pinnacle of the story that God has been telling since the beginning of the world. And they were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. The second reason that some of those early Christians came to believe that Jesus was really God is because of his miraculous conception and his birth. The Bible tells us this about Jesus' conception. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand the technicalities of that. We're not even close. That's what makes it miraculous. And when we think about Jesus' birth, we think about angels, we think about shepherds, we think about a star that led wise men over the course of several years to later view and visit Jesus as a child. We think about these amazing things. And when the early Christians stepped back and they said, this is strange, this is really weird, we don't know how this fits together, we can't make sense of it. There's something different about Jesus. The third thing that people relied on and, and, and dwelled upon to say that Jesus was God was that his life was extraordinary. You see, Jesus was a powerful teacher. And Jesus performed amazing miracles. And Jesus displayed signs and wonders. Think for just a moment. Jesus was such a powerful teacher that thousands of people came to hear him. 
And think about the miracles. He, he healed the sick. He, he set enslaved people free. And think about signs and wonders. He had power over nature. He changed water to wine. And he had these amazing signs and wonders that he could perform. You see, the first Christians looked at his teaching, his miracles, his signs and wonders, and they said, the life of this man is different than anyone we've ever seen before. Uh, the, the fourth reason that these early Christians came to believe that Jesus was God was that his death was accompanied by abnormal things. His death itself wasn't that unique. The Romans nailed other people to the cross. That was an execution method. So the cross itself 2,000 years ago was nothing unique. That wouldn't lead people to think that that person was in fact God. What was unique is that as Jesus was breathing his final breath, it seems that all of nature responded. The the Bible talks about the earth trembling and and this storm that overcame. And there is a a symbolic curtain that was in the temple that separated the, the holy of holies God from the common people. And at the time of Jesus' final breath, that curtain was ripped in two. And so the early Christians step back and they say, as Jesus was dying, things were odd. Things were different. There was something different about this Jesus. The fifth thing that these early Christians came, the reason that these early Christians came to believe that Jesus was God was that his resurrection and his resurrected body were unique. There's a whole list of reasons that the resurrection, and in fact, is very believable. That's a whole nother message. But, but the disciples came to believe that, that this resurrection was unique. And that after Jesus was raised, his body was different. He could still, the scars could still be seen in his hands and in his side. But he was able to eat food. He, he could show up in places and then be gone. There, there was something different about his resurrection and his resurrected body. Uh, the sixth reason that these early Christians believed that Jesus was God was that after spending 40 days with them after the resurrection, he ascended to heaven. The Bible says he was taken up in a cloud and, and the disciples had no filter to put that in other than to say there's something different about Jesus. He must have, in fact, been God. And then the seventh reason that these early Christians would have said Jesus must have been God was themselves, the the gathering, the community, or we call it the church. They, They would have looked around at each other and said, how could one person bring together such a diverse group of people that speak different languages, that have different priorities, that are at different places on the economic scale. Their culture is so different. Who could unite such a diverse group of people if it wasn't God himself? You see, when, when the early Christians took all of this evidence, they looked at all of it together, and they said, there's, there's so many things, there's so many confirmations, there's so many differences, there's so many uniquenesses about Jesus, who he was, what he did, the role he played in the story. Who else could he be other than God in the flesh? They walked away and said, yes, the Jesus that, that lived among us, he was in fact God. But the interesting thing is, there's other people that saw Jesus 
and saw everything he did. They heard all the stories and they walked away saying something very different, saying he's just a man. In fact, they said a a whole host of things. They said he's just a a carpenter's son. He's out of his mind. Maybe he's even possessed by Satan. You see, two groups of people saw the exact same thing and walked away thinking very different things about who Jesus was. There were folks in Jesus' day who didn't believe that Jesus was God. The evidence was right in front of them, but they walked away not believing he was God. You see, the interesting thing I think is that that God allows us to come to our own conclusions, That, that God allows us free will to determine and to answer the relational question. This is who I say Jesus is in my heart, in my mind, with my life. And at the end of the day, evidence will only take us so far. If there were people 2,000 years ago that the Bible records that saw Jesus face to face and walked away from him believing he wasn't God, then there's not enough evidence in the world to convince us. You see, evidence can only take us so far. There is always an element of faith and belief. There is always faith at work. We will always have to take a step of faith. Maybe you don't have all the facts squared away. Maybe there's just not enough evidence for you. you. You can't fit it all together logically. That's okay. Jesus still asks you today, who do you say that I am? Whatever you're doing with the evidence, who do you say that I am? When I was 14 years old, God became real to me. And I remember as a 14-year-old being in, in my bedroom in a difficult place as, as our poor middle school students even now have to, have to fight a number of things on a daily basis. And I remember fighting those demons myself as a middle schooler, 14 years old, struggling with life. And, and as a 14-year-old, I began to just turn. I didn't know where else to turn. And thank God I turned to my Bible and to Jesus. And I just started diving into the New Testament. And I'll tell you, I found a person that I had had never met before in Jesus. There was a man who was full of both grace and truth. He had incredible power, but possessed incredible humility. He was incredibly generous, but he was still able to preserve who he was in his own identity. He had a sense of boundaries, but he also had a sense of giving folks whatever they needed. I came to know and respect Jesus like I had respected no one else. And as a 14-year-old, God became real to me in the person of Jesus. And I thought, if there was a person that lived like that, I want to give my life to that. I want to know that person. What ultimately led me to God was, in fact, Jesus. There's a Bible verse in Colossians that says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You you see, in Jesus, we have a picture of who God is. Jesus is the fullest, best, most beautiful picture we have ever had of God. This God that we cannot see became visible in the person of Jesus. When we are confused about who God is, how God relates to us, what God values, all we have to do 
is to look at the life of Jesus. And is Jesus' life compelling or what? He loved like no one else has loved. He touched people that were untouchable. He healed people that had no hope. He taught in a way that set people free and made their burdens light. He treated people differently than they had ever been treated. Jesus was not selfish. He was not proud. He was not rude. If you can show me a life more beautiful than Jesus, I'll give my life to that. But I've not found one. Jesus has the most beautiful life that I have ever heard of, read of, or seen. And so as a 14-year-old, Jesus led me to God. When Jesus asks us today, who do you say that I am? It's our opportunity to define our relationship to him. Maybe there's enough evidence to convince you and maybe there's not. You can answer that two totally different ways. But I'd encourage you today to take the step of faith to answer, you in fact are the son of God. To me, you're my Messiah, Messiah, you're my savior. You give me purpose, you give me hope, you give me joy. Jesus, you're God. And you're not only God, you're you're God in, in my life. Let's pray together today. Father, we are thankful to be in places where we can be reminded that you are a God that loves us, that 2,000 years ago you came in the person of Jesus. And God, today, I pray that, that if there's some of us that have been holding out, we've been respecters of Jesus, we've been fans of Jesus, we, we've, we've been on the outside intellectually, we like his teaching, but we haven't committed our hearts or our lives to Jesus. God, that you'd wake us up today. God, invite us into a life that we've never known. Father, for some of us, we need to define our relationship with you. And so God, give us the courage in these moments as we respond to you to define our relationship, to confess that you are not only God, you are God in our lives. God, and and, and give us a vision of what that could do, not only in ourselves, but in our families, in our communities, in our places of work, as we give our lives to you, as we confess who you are, God, that, that it could not only change our lives, but it could change communities. It could change the world itself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.